All right, everybody, welcome. How are we doing? You know, I realized when I was editing videos this week that I start off every sermon with the exact same words. All right, how are we doing? My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to continue a series we've been on. This is week 11 of Spiritual Fruits, and uh, we've been walking through what it means to basically get out of the way and let the Spirit of God live through you and how, how so much happens when we surrender and this is the week that I know when I started this series, you circled it on your calendar. I know you did. I know. I mean, we did love and joy and peace, and those are all very interesting. They were very helpful, but you tested your gift of patience waiting for today. You did. I know. I know. And it's here. Yeah, finally. It's here. We're going to talk about gentleness. Wow. That's exciting, isn't it? You've waited, and it's finally here. Gentleness. Let's look at our passage once again, Galatians 5.22. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, there it is, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now we've explored this passage every week now for 11 weeks. And I want to ask you this. Have you spent time thinking about what you expected to see in this passage? A lot of times what happens is we read a passage, we become so familiar with it, but is this what you expected to see? I mean, Jesus said he would send a helper spirit who would teach us all things, and the spirit would give us power. Is this the list, the kind of power and the gifts that you expected to see? I would have expected courage, determination, persistence, toughness, grit, willpower, fearless, boldness, I would have expected those to be the gifts of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would descend upon us and give us all those kind of gifts. And apparently, I'm not alone. Several years ago, the Christian researcher George Barna asked Christians to prioritize 30 characteristics of a very mature believer. From 1 to 30, people would list them in order of importance. They would rank these 30 things. Those that best represented Christ on the top, those who they thought really weren't that important were on the bottom. Do you want to guess what was last? Gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It is one of God's top nine, and yet we rank it last. God said you'll be able to identify followers of Jesus because of these nine traits. It, it reflects the amount of time they've been spending abiding alone with the Holy Spirit. When you see these nine traits in somebody and you know that what they're exhibiting is not of them, you know they've spent time with the Holy Spirit. Yet many of us treat gentleness like that awkward Christmas present. We smile, we thank them, and then we wonder, what in the world am I going to do with gentleness? You rarely hear a believer pray for more gentleness. You rarely hear a believer state that they're going to surrender more to Christ so he can make them more gentle. Gentleness is like the last fruit in the basket for most of us. It gets no respect. Honestly, most of us would tell Barna what, what others told him. We don't associate gentleness with godly character. When we think of God's character, gentleness is not top of the mind. We often pray for more of God's power in certain circumstances, not his gentleness. Look at what King David said. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. 
Your gentleness, gentleness made me great, he says. What is he talking about? How does gentleness make anyone great? You see, the problem we have is a perception problem. The problem with the spiritual gift of gentleness is that we think that gentleness and weakness are the same thing. When we hear gentleness, we associate with being passive or wimpy or helpless or weak. Losers are gentle and weak. Winners are tough and powerful. In Western civilization, gentleness equals failure. Gentle people fail. Only the strong survive. I've never seen a superhero that boasted that they were full of gentleness. Never seen Captain Gentle save the world by zapping people with bolts that caress their feelings. I've never seen it. Yet God told us the Holy Spirit will empower us and one way the power will be revealed on earth is through the supernatural presence of gentleness. It's interesting that Jesus said, we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And yet none of these things seem to align with our idea of what power is all about. We don't think about powering up on somebody and just wait, I'm about to blast you with joy and patience and kindness and gentleness. Take them apples. Yeah. We don't picture our enemies going, oh, please, not that. Anything, not that. I'm gonna douse you with gentleness. And yet Jesus says, I'm gonna give you some powerful gifts from heaven. Gifts that will break down barriers. Gifts that will open doors. You're gonna drop love bombs and you're gonna drop gentleness bombs on a world that doesn't want it. It's important to realize that we think of the gifts of the Spirit in terms of our life right now. I need courage, I need boldness, I need toughness. Not gentleness and kindness. And those are important human traits to have on earth. I need to be bold. I need to be guarded. But we no longer live on earth, about earth. We're spiritual beings. We're fighting in the spiritual realm. We're fighting for principles and truths that are eternal. The power of Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit arrived, we'd be full of spirit power, not human power. And it would be used for eternal spiritual purposes. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Once empowered, we become God's witnesses on earth for spiritual things. We reflect Jesus in his love and his joy and his peace and yeah, his gentleness. So if gentleness, also known as meekness and weakness are not the same thing, then what is gentleness? Well, the Greek word for gentleness comes from two words, prates and epikes. Prates means humility, considerateness, meekness. It usually refers to things or objects or people. It, it, it refers to words that are gentle and soothing and healing, soothing medicine, soothing actions, soothing feelings. The, the word might be applied to animals or charitable, generous people. It's something from you expect from your friends and those who love you. You expect them to be gentle with you. Epikes is the word that expresses balanced, intelligent, decent outlook on life. That you got it together. 
You're a good citizen. You're an admired person, a trusted individual. Plato called this the cement of society. You need to have these people. They're rock solid. So the Greeks define words, but they usually define words in a word picture. That's why Greek is such an illustrative language and such a great language for the New Testament. Every word has a picture. The picture of gentleness is that of a horse being tamed. That's the image. When they think of gentleness, what they think about is the, the horse being tamed, this powerful animal whose passions and power are fully and completely wild become under control and contained. So when Greeks thought of gentleness, they had the image of a wild stallion that is now in complete concert with the rider. They're a team and the power of the animals harnessed and focused on the purpose of the rider. It's not the same that we picture of the old horse is just out to pasture who's weak. Gentleness means this horse has all the power it ever had, but that power is now under submission to its owner who is using it for his purposes. That's the picture of true gentleness. In fact, it takes power to be gentle. Think about that for a minute. Gentleness is power under control. A gentle person is someone who has all the power they need, but they choose not to use it. Truth be told, it takes a very strong person to be truly gentle. I spent most of my waking hours at home playing tug-of-war with one of our dogs. I can't hold the end of the rope while working on a computer or doing anything. I have to hold the rope all the time. I literally forget that I'm doing it. I'm just holding the rope. We're playing tug-of-war, just holding the rope. Marge pulls as hard as she can, makes all kinds of noises, grunts, pulls, shakes her head. She's all in with everything she has, and I'm barely even acknowledging that she's there. I forget. Her power is totally maxed out, but I have enough power to pick her up by the rope and throw her across the room if I wanted to. I often forget that we're in a tug-of-war. Holding the rope at times takes so little effort on my part that I forget what I'm doing until she shakes her head or growls. She'll stay like that for hours. Because of my relative strength, I'm playing gently with her. I have all the power I need. But I'm choosing not to leverage that power through gentleness. If we were equally matched, you'd never see gentleness. Only the powerful can be gentle. Gentleness is not a sign of weakness, but evidence of strength. It's a choice to decide not to use the power that you have. Gentleness is harnessed strength. It's a strong hand with a gentle touch. Weak people can't be gentle. They can only be weak. Powerful people really can't be weak, but they certainly can be gentle. So you know what's interesting about wild stallions? They never go backwards. Once they're broken, once they're tamed, they never go back to the wild stallion they were before. They can't do it. Their nature has changed. They've become something different. All the power's still there. It just can't be undone. 
It's not that they decide each day, I'm going to be a horse under control. Their very nature changed when they were finally broken. They can't go back and be wild like they were before. They've become gentle giants. Now under the guidance and working in sync with their rider. We as fallen humans are born like wild stallions. We don't realize it because all of us have the same condition. We're all wild stallions. Nobody's tame. We live with sinful desires and selfish motives. We want what we want and we'll do what we want is necessary to get it. So in our fallen sinful state, man uses power for the protection of himself and perhaps those he cares about. It's a survival of the fittest. Sinful people worship themselves and leverage whatever influence or power they can obtain for themselves. Sinful people are inherently selfish. They live in a me-first world. We were born wild stallions. In civilized society, we try to play down our animal instincts. But let societal norms or restraints fall apart, even for a few days, and you start to see the animal come out in the human. Limit food, water, electricity for a few weeks and watch what happens to society. We have the power to use our words to hurt people. We have the power to use our words to manipulate people. Each of us can and have acted in ways that hurt other people. We can tone it down a bit. We can try not to show our selfish animal instincts to others, but unless we've been broken, they're still there. We are at the core animals focused on our survival until we're broken. We're wild stallions, daring someone to tame us. Yet for those who surrender to Jesus, who receive the Holy Spirit, who become transformed as we abide in the Holy Spirit, we find our wild stallion selfish nature is being replaced with, dare I say it, gentleness. We become sweetly broken and wholly surrendered. Like the stallion, we still have the power to hurt people through our words and our actions, but we no longer have the desire. Our very nature has changed. And we can't go back. We're not the same wild person we were. We have been broken and created into something new. Gentleness is from the Spirit because it takes the Spirit of God to harness the power of sinful man. There's only one thing that can break the power of sin in this world, and that's Jesus Christ. We are fallen humans who are incredibly powerful when it comes to sin and hurting other people. Gentleness, God's gentleness, is a gift that doesn't come from this world. It comes from heaven. It takes God's gentleness, God's spirit to tame wild man. The Holy Spirit changes us from animals trying to survive at the expense of others to spiritual beings being naturally gentle. Notice that I didn't say you choose to be gentle. This is so important. I read this all the time. If you're a believer, you need to choose to be gentle. No, you can't. What you need to choose is to surrender and let God create you into a gentle person. Spiritual gifts manifest themselves naturally. You don't stir them up. They're not under your control. 
the more you surrender, the more God grows them in you. That's the one thing I've been pounding on since we started this series. You don't make yourself grow spiritually. You surrender and allow God to grow through you. You're not a wild stallion that is now choosing to be gentle. It's as natural for you to be gentle now as it was for you to be wild before. You find God's gentleness rising up within you because you're a different person, not because you chose to be gentle. You've become someone new. Spiritually, you are somebody new, and that new person has a gentle spirit. It's our gentleness that becomes evident of a heart that is now in sync with the master. When you see someone riding a stallion, you know that the rider is working in sync and in control of that animal for his or her purposes. That huge animal looks so beautiful, so tame, full of power, but gentle. When people see your walk with Jesus, and they see your gentle spirit, and they know God is in control of your life, that you're in sync with the purposes of your master, and your old sin nature, your wild selfishness, your pride are gone. They see restrained power of the Holy Spirit through you, and they see God's gentle spirit in you, and they know it's not from you. Gentleness is the character that directly links us to Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus are distinguished by gentleness. Gentleness is so unnatural in our world that its demonstration points people to Jesus every time. When you see somebody being truly gentle, when they have all the power they can have and they're choosing not to use it, but rather to be gentle with somebody, I can almost guarantee you the Spirit of God is in them. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am, how do you think this should end right here? I do this a lot, okay? Come to me if you're labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me for I am, you would expect strong, powerful, invincible, that's not what Jesus says. He says, look, pour your burdens on me if you're so overwhelmed because I'm gentle. I'm gentle. Wait a minute. I'm gonna pour my burdens out on you, Jesus, because you're gentle? Yeah. Yeah. Knowing what gentle means opens this verse up. Jesus says, look, I'm gentle. I have all the power, all the resources of God. I'm barely using them right now. I'm playing tug of war with a dog. I'm not using any of my power. You're overwhelmed, burdened, pulling on the other end, struggling, grunting, making all kinds of noise, feeling like you're under burden. Let go, I got it. I'm gentle. I have all the power in the world. I just choose not to use it. You're like Marge with all your strength and you're worn out. I'm gentle. I have restrained, unlimited power. I won't even hardly notice your burden. My burden is easy and my yoke is light, Jesus says. True followers of Jesus have given their burdens to Christ and other people see it. They walk through life unburdened.
People see their gentleness and they know that's not from Bob. He's not that. I remember him when he was in college. Yeah, it's not Bob. 1 Peter 3, 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter knows a thing or two about gentleness. Note that gentle and a quiet spirit are the hidden person of the heart. A secret weapon. Adorn yourself with gentleness. Why? Because other people are watching you. Our gentleness is a powerful spiritual fruit that's used to reach people who don't yet believe. Paul knew this was a powerful gift in the hands of God. Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Genuine gentleness as led by God demands that no harm be done. There are safe ways to demonstrate your boldness. Standing for what's right without necessarily using violence. There are non-manipulative ways to lead people and convince others to do what's right without powering up on them. Titus 3.2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. We can stand for God with a gentle spirit and not condone sin. Please hear this. Being gentle doesn't mean that you let sin walk through. Being gentle means you confront sin head on, but you're gentle with your brother and sister as believers. You don't pass the sin, but you also don't destroy the believer. We can disagree with other people. We can share God's truth with other believers and still show respect and gentleness. In fact, only by knowing in our heart of hearts that God is right can we disagree with gentleness. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to be gentle. Being gentle is about being under spiritual control, no longer desiring to use your power to make your point or to harm someone else. You have no desire to embrace vengeance and no desire to cut and slash at other people. You see, here's how this works. When you are gentle, you are so humble and so thankful to God. And you're so sure that God's truth is true that you don't have to stand up and defend it. You don't have to power up on somebody else with words from the Bible. It's true. That's your power. You know that no matter what somebody else says, no matter what they want to do, no matter what they want to walk into or out of, there is a truth in God's word that is your strength, and it never wavers. And when you share that truth, you can do so with gentleness because you know the power of the word. Too often as believers, we power up on each other with the truth of God's word. We're correct, we're just not gentle. Now, I'm speaking on this because I'm not good at it. I'll let you know straight up, I'm not known as a gentle person. Shocking, I know. <laughs> I tend to be very direct, particularly with God's word. But we have to learn as believers and understand that it takes truly a spiritually strong person to be gentle. 
When we're filled with the Spirit's fruit of gentleness, we can correct others with easiness instead of arguing with resentment and anger, knowing that their salvation is far more important than our pride. Colossians 4, 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that's truth, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We will forgive easily because we know we've been forgiven. Gentleness also means we give up our right to be right. We let God do the judging. We take his truth and we apply it in our lives. Gentleness means that we accept that rain falls on the evil and the just and that God will use methods that we don't like to reach hearts of other people. Gentleness means that we come to embrace God's truth. This is a big one for me. I discovered one of the obstacles I had to gentleness is that I always felt like I had to prove to others that what God says is true. I would watch people read the word of God and literally walk away and go, I'm not doing it. And I'm like, that's the word of God. What do you mean you're not doing it? I'm not doing it. Not gonna do it. Walk away. And I had a hard time with that because I always felt like I was somehow responsible for their rejection of God's word. Maybe if I just taught better. Maybe if I just modeled better. I had to learn that what they're doing, rejecting God's word, is between them and God. All I'm to do is hold God's word up as true. So I would get all amped up and invested in proving that I was right. I could win the battle and lose the war. Then one day I realized God didn't need me to defend his truth anymore. It wasn't at all about his truth. His truth is true no matter what anybody thinks about it. The question was, could I point people to God's truth in a manner of gentleness that draws them to learn more? Is my gentleness evident? 2 Timothy 2, 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with, there it is, gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. What God is saying is, look, there's a bunch of people that are captured by Satan doing Satan's will. You're going to go with the truth, but if you present it with gentleness, there's a good chance that God may grant them repentance. We can't expect people that don't know Jesus to act like they do. We have to go to them in gentleness with truth. Now, let me separate that a little bit from people who claim to follow Jesus. Once you come out of the baptismal waters, you're looking at every person in your church saying, hold me accountable. Hold me accountable to the truth. Do it with gentleness, but I stand accountable. Okay. We are to be gentle with both believers and unbelievers. If you look at the life of Jesus, he never took the sin of a non-believer and put it in their face. Had a chance to do it at the well, had a chance to do it with a woman in adultery. He never did that. He never took a non-believer, told them about their sins, and then manipulated them into believing him. However, for those who claim to represent God, those who claimed to follow God, he held them accountable. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, others, you claim to follow me, then do it. 
Gentleness does not mean that you get a pass when it comes to sin. Gentleness means that we restore each other with a heart of love, wanting the best for each other. Now, I could tell you that when you are being restored, challenged, confronted, it doesn't feel gentle no matter how gentle it is. We have to prepare ourselves in advance. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. A little sidetrack. A spirit of gentleness towards God is to accept his judgment. We don't want to let people off the hook and let them just do what they want to do. We have to speak truth. It doesn't mean we ignore sin. It means that we do it in love. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, that means believers. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Interesting words here. This doesn't mean to be so soft that the sinner doesn't realize they've sinned. Doesn't mean to blow the sin off. It doesn't mean to ignore what they've done. It means to confront the brother or sister in a manner that's in line with Scripture. To be mild, loving, encouraging, and clear about the holiness that God calls us to. Also notice that only those who live by the Spirit can do this. It's interesting. He addresses brothers and sisters, meaning the whole church, but then he turns and he says, you who live by the Spirit. What does that imply? There are people in the church that aren't living by the Spirit. We're going to get to that a little bit later too. Gentleness seems to be one of the later fruits to grow in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, those things kind of grow quickly, but it seems like it takes a while for gentleness to begin to be manifest in our lives. It's interesting how the spiritual fruits tend to interrelate. As our love for others grows, so does our patience and kindness and gentleness. Gentleness is a sign of a very mature believer. I truly hope to get there one day. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. It's almost like we got to grow enough of God's love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness before we begin to start to feel and exhibit his gentleness. Puritan leader Jonathan Edwards said this, all who are truly godly and are real disciples of Christ have a gentle spirit in them. You see, gentleness flows from supernatural love, a genuine love for other people. We begin to love people the way Christ loved them, and we find then that our nature is gentle like his is. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with, there it is, gentleness and respect. Our gentleness is not only evident when seen by an unbelieving world. It's key to how we relate to each other as believers. God's truth is inherently gentle. James 3, 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. God's very word has a gentleness to it. To receive God's truth, we have to be gentle. James 1.21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, gentleness, the implanted word which is able to save your soul. 
We have to receive the word of God. We have to receive in gentleness God's truth. And the gentleness of Christ should motivate us as believers for help one another. First, 2 Corinthians 10, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you went away. What he's telling the Corinthians is I'm about to blast you. I'm about to challenge you about your sins. You're the church gone wild. It's not gonna be pretty, but here's what I want you to know. When I'm with you, when I was with you, I was there in gentleness and meekness. And now I'm gonna to try to help you understand with boldness where you've gone wrong. Gentleness allows us to speak truth to one another. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, restore that person gently. This is interesting. We're to pursue gentleness in the same manner that we pursue godliness. If we walked in this morning and I said, hey, which do you think you should be pursuing? Gentleness, godliness, courage, whatever. You might go, oh, I don't know, but probably not gentleness. 1 Timothy 6.11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Pursue it, chase it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Once you begin to understand what gentle means, you see it throughout scripture like crazy. It's everywhere. Even our adornments, our accessories, should reflect the gentleness of God. Hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit. Now, we have a better understanding now of what gentleness is. It's restrained power. We see it in everything Jesus did. Pick any story about Jesus. Uh, do this as a study. Just pick any story about Jesus and look for his gentleness. It's there. If there's one characteristic of Jesus Christ other than love that stands out, it's restrained power. It's gentleness. Jesus had the power to do anything. He literally holds creation together in his hands. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the man. He's everything. You can't really understand someone's gentleness unless you fully grasp their strength. It's when you realize how strong they are that you begin to understand how gentle they're being. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God is omnipotent. He can do anything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing he can't do. He says, behold, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? That's who came to earth. Jesus understood the power available to him at all times. Matthew 26, 53, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus said, look, I'm major powerful here. I'm like holding things together. I could say stop and the whole thing stops. 
Think about all the power of God. Think about the mission of Jesus with all that power available to him. And he comes to earth. And he came on a mission, a mission to show the gentleness, the restrained power of God in order to try to get people to restore their relationship with God. Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Think about almost every event in Jesus's life and you see gentleness. You see restrained power. In the fourth chapter of John, Jesus encounters a woman at a well. This woman's been married five times. And she's now living with a man who isn't her husband. And worse than that, she's a Samaritan, one of the despised people up north. Not a person a rabbi should be associated with. Jesus asks her for a drink of water and her, her, her response is unkind. She's sarcastic. But Jesus responds gently. He could have powered up on her. He didn't do it. Why didn't he do it? Is he afraid of her? No. Is he afraid somebody's going to see them together? No. Is he afraid that she's going to leave and go to town and say that a Jewish rabbi spoke to her? No. He responded gently because he saw beyond her reputation. He saw a thirsty, spiritually needy person who needed to be touched with the gentleness of God. He saw a person at a well who's desperately seeking living water. He saw a person who needed restoration with gentleness, not confrontation with their sin. And so he restored her. Jesus encountered a woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Those who caught her were salivating. They had caught her in adultery. Interestingly, they left the man behind. They had stones in their hands. They were waiting, poised to stone her to death. They couldn't wait. Would Jesus join them? Did he pick up a stone and join the crowd? No. Using his finger, he wrote in the sand, and when he was finished, they were all gone. Just the woman was there. Jesus looked at her and said, there's no one here to condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. He didn't tell her to keep doing what he was doing. In gentleness, he told her to stop sinning. Clearly, she was guilty. She knew it. He knew it. But he saw beyond her reputation. He saw a person who needed to be restored, and with gentleness, he restored her. Then in Luke chapter 19, we see a story of a wee little man in a tree named Zacchaeus, a tax collector, rich because he'd ripped off everybody in town, despised by everybody. When Jesus comes through town, does he point his finger at Zacchaeus and accuse him of being the person he really is? No. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down here from this tree. I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. What an honor. The rabbi visiting town has chosen Zacchaeus' house. You see, Jesus saw beyond Zacchaeus' reputation. He saw a man who needed to be restored, and with gentleness, he restored him. Luke chapter 2, Martha, a friend of Jesus, had invited him and his disciples over for dinner. Lots of preparation needed to go into the meal, so Jesus is in the living room. Mary, Martha's sister, sitting at his feet, 12 disciples with him. It's beautiful. Jesus is teaching. Martha's in the kitchen. And all Luke says was that Martha came out of the kitchen. 
Now, you know, prior to this, there were banging pans. There were grunts. There were noises. There were slamming cabinet doors, heavy sighs, all saying, somebody get in here and help me. Martha gets all worked out. She comes out. She stands in front of Jesus, probably with her hands on her hips. We don't know. Tell my sister to help me. Face to face with his friend Martha, Jesus could have rebuked her. She deserved it. Instead, he said, Martha, Martha, two times. Tone of endearment. He saw beyond her frustration. He saw beyond her anger. He saw her jealousy. He saw her as a woman that needed to be restored, and with gentleness, he restored her. In Matthew 8, we meet Jesus, who meets a man with leprosy. He had the power to heal him, and he did. But it was in his gentleness that he reached out and actually touched him. Rabbis don't touch sick people. Lepers hadn't felt a human touch in a very, very long time. His gentleness in the moment helped restore the leper both physically and spiritually. In Mark 5, we see a story of Jesus' encounter with a hemorrhagic woman. She just wanted to reach out and in desperation touch his tassel and maybe she'd be healed and he stopped and he turned to her. You don't touch a rabbi. He didn't rebuke her. Instead, he healed her with gentleness. Some of Jesus' greatest examples of gentleness, restrained power, he showed to the Pharisees. Preachers and teachers of the law, they were constantly daring him, threatening him, opposing him, trying to set him up. I look at those scriptures, why did you not unleash a lightning bolt? <laughs> he never unleashed his power. He could have zapped them. But instead, he models for us how to handle your enemies. I taught on this Wednesday night, how are we to love our enemies? They called him every name in the book. They said he was from Satan. They said he was a bastard child, a blasphemer, a fraud. And Jesus left judgment and retaliation to the Father. He spoke truth to them, but he restrained his power. I could go on forever. Every story of Jesus shows his gentleness. Meeting Mary Magdalene at the tomb, simply saying her name. The gentleness he shows Mary when he casts out her demons. The restrained power that Jesus shows when Peter denies him three times. And then Jesus looks at him and says, do you love me three times? He could have blasted Peter. Everything Jesus did on earth reflected his gentleness. It is one of the greatest characteristics of Jesus and of his followers. The men on the way to Emmaus, again, they didn't understand what was going on. He didn't blast them. He just shared with them truth. And they said, did not your heart leap when he was talking to you? Gentleness. Now you may be thinking, well, that's okay. He's God. Jesus has a power I'll never have. I can't show gentleness to other people. They're going to destroy me. If I go into the world being gentle, everybody's going to take advantage of me. They're going to stomp on me. They're going to steal my stuff. They're going to beat me up. They may kill me. This is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Let me remind you of what Jesus promised. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What kind of power? Well, you're going to receive the power of love and joy and patience and 
gentleness. God says, go out into the world and zap them with my gentleness. Watch what happens. Gentleness, I believe, is one of the most powerful and most effective gifts that God gives us in the Spirit. I've seen it only in the most mature of believers because I believe the consequence of its expression is full-out opposition to God. Gentleness is not for the spiritually immature or the weak of heart. It's saved for spiritual warriors. When you mature in the faith long enough that God begins to grow gentleness in your heart, your world's gonna change. Your mission is going to change. Your life is going to change. Take God's gentleness into the world and they, both believers and unbelievers, will do to you what they did to Jesus. They'll lie about you. They'll try to discredit you. They may try to arrest you, carry you away, say you're mad, call you names, challenge your motives, threaten your integrity, take your job, turn your family against you, try to twist your words against you, ruin your reputation, attack you, beat you, torture you, and yes, they may even kill you. You do know that's what we signed up for, right? Don't miss this. We didn't sign up to come here and sing songs every week and just feel good about ourselves. We were signed up for a mission to grow in maturity so we could be God's warriors in a spiritual battle on earth. That's why we're here. If somebody sold you some other deal, I'm sorry. Jesus told us that they would hate us because we first hated him. That we were connected to him through our suffering. Luke 6, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For their fathers did the same to the prophets. So we have been through in detail the spiritual fruits. Can you imagine a believer not wanting them? Can you imagine a believer going, you know what, those are cool, but I don't want those in my life. I'll take a little bit of each one, maybe a dash of love and a little more patience would be good, but I don't want to open myself up for God to pour all of it through me. You see, many people who trust Jesus for their salvation don't trust him for their growth. Deep down, if they were honest, they really don't want to grow up spiritually. They want to stay like children. They don't fully trust Jesus. They begin to realize that when they start following and trusting Jesus, it costs them relationships. It costs them friends. Public opinion starts to change. They no longer get approval from the people they know. I want to give us some advice on how to move forward in the area of our spiritual lives. It's one thing to know about the spiritual fruits. I'm going to close with sharing you something you need to decide for yourself. It takes a very strong spiritual person who abides in Christ a lot to be truly gentle. It just does. Some people will see the spiritual fruit of gentleness in you and they'll be drawn to Jesus. God's gentleness flowing through you will stand in contrast to the harshness of our world and God's gentleness will literally melt their resistance. They'll see God's gentleness in you and you just see their heart melts. Others 
will see the spiritual fruit of gentleness in you and hate you for it. Gentleness is so powerful, Satan always attacks when it's present. Jesus warned us that spiritual maturity is not for the faint of heart. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. You see, here's what happens in the church. We get very pumped up about Jesus. We get very excited about salvation. We, we surrender our lives to Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit, and then we think we're done. And God tells, no, no, I'm planning to grow you into a spiritually mature, replicating warrior for Christ. I'm gonna take you places you don't wanna go. I'm gonna empower you with gifts that you don't even know you have, and we're gonna go change the world. And too many believers go, well, I'm not that in. I like the salvation part. I don't like the people don't like me part. Many believers stop abiding and stop growing spiritual fruit because they start getting resistance from their friends and their family and their coworkers. Why are you spending so much time at church? Why are you reading the Bible? Why can't you come on Sunday to this? Why are you always hanging out with those people? Why do you think you're so good? Oh, you think you smell good now, huh? As they abide in Christ, as Christ's spiritual fruit begins to grow in their lives, people start turning away from them. They so desperately want the approval of others that they tone down the Jesus stuff. They don't realize that their friends, family, and coworker are rejecting Jesus, not them. But as they abide, it becomes harder and harder to see you separate from Jesus. You're becoming more and more like him, and the world hates him. So as you grow spiritually, you're going to find yourself more and more isolated, more and more in different circles. Even believers who don't want to grow deeper will isolate you. You'll see it within a church. Too many followers of Jesus stagnate because it starts to cost them something. And they just won't go there. The reality is not every believer truly wants to be mature. Being a child's fun. People take care of you. They don't expect much from you. You get all the blessings and none of the work. Sadly, not all believers want all the fruit fully manifested in their lives. And Satan will try to use them to stagnate you. I like to think, because I'm an optimist, that when I come in here, all of us are sold out for Jesus, ready to die, to do whatever it takes, to grow in spirit, grow in fruit. I, I believe that. It may not be true for everybody in here and everybody online, but I like to believe that's true. What you have to decide, though, is that your growth is between you and God, not between your friends and you and God. You're gonna grow. How far you grow depends on how much you abide. How do you keep from stagnating? Well, my recommendation is you have to decide to obey God's word to the letter without wavering and without any feelings. Your feelings don't change truth. God's word is true. You need to decide right now that his word is true that you will live by it. You won't debate it. You won't argue about it. You won't rationalize it. If God says it in this book, it is true. Human opinion does not affect God's truth. We need to stop trying it. 
So the first thing you have to do if you want to be spiritually mature is God's word is true no matter what you think about it. Wrestle with it, figure it out. Eventually you'll come to the conclusion that when you don't agree with God's word, the problem's with you. Second, decide before you ever read his truth that you'll obey it, whatever it says. Commit to obeying God's truth no matter what it says. Even before you read it. Yes, Lord, now what do you want? If God says it's true, the issue is settled. Decide to abide with Jesus each day as the single greatest priority of your life. Nothing on your calendar today or tomorrow or any day in the future is more important than spending time with the Holy Spirit. Then, after you've decided God's word's true, after you've agreed to obey it no matter what, and after you've abided in Christ, then surround yourself with people who are unwavering in God's truth and include them in your core group. Only allow those who want every spiritual fruit fully blowing and going in their lives and in your life to speak into your life. A lot of us take advice from people that aren't invested in us. You have to have certain people in your life that you know love you no matter what. They want the very best for you and they will speak truth to you no matter what it does to the relationship because they love you that much. And when those people speak truth into your life, you need to pay attention because you know in your heart of hearts they want everything for you. They want the very best. When it comes to your walk with Christ, don't settle for less than God's best. Not every believer you meet is going to abide in Christ and grow spiritually. You will pass them up. You may even grow spiritually beyond your mentor. Paul said too many people are drinking milk when they should be eating solid food. Encourage them, but grow past them. Don't hold back. Walking this planet looking more and more like Jesus is gonna cause you to be rejected. You need to embrace it. Celebrate it, rejoice. God says your reward will be great in heaven. This is not your home anyway. You have to decide that you're all in. No one decides that for you. You have to decide to abide in Christ every day no matter what happens. You must decide that if God wants to give something to you that you want every ounce of it. Spiritually mature people are not naive. They know the cost. They know the true cost and they know the true reward and they're willing to make the sacrifice because Jesus did. They are strong because they're gentle. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you came here on earth and you showed us what restrained power looks like. You showed us what gentleness looks like. You showed us how we're to live our lives. You challenged us to allow you to change us into the person that you want us to be. God, some of us here today, we've been stagnant in our walk with you and we know it. Surrendering to you began to cost us something and we didn't really want to pay that price. Others, God, for various reasons, have stopped abiding and wonder why the fruit's not growing. God, we've been through a lot in this series, but it really all boils down to our surrender to you. The more we surrender, 
the more you become evident in our life. The more we hold on to the things of this world, the more we look like this world. God, I pray for all of us that we can make a commitment to surrender to you completely, fully, and wholly. No bar, nothing held back. Anywhere, anything, anytime. God, help us to be bold, mature warriors for you, full of every spiritual gift, pouring it out on a world that's desperate for you and your truth. Help us to live for you instead of ourselves. Give us the courage and power to be bold in a fallen world, to be witnesses in Samaria and Judea and beyond. We love you. We thank you, God, for the gentleness that you offer to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name.